0: about uh this is 2022 so about 4 years ago i think it was 2018 just a few months after uh, uh i had been called to uh to serve as uh, lead pastor of the church we took some time as a church to uh work through and to develop a, a clear mission statement um, a, a kind of a, a charge from the lord as we understood it for what we are to do as a church our that, that point on the horizon that we were all going to steadfastly be marching toward as we follow Jesus. And we looked at that mission statement again last week in detail. Uh, our mission as a church is this, that we exist, we are here in this place to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ in the power of this Holy Spirit. That's what God has put us here to do, to bring glory, honor, fame to his name, to increase the worship of him around the world. And we do that best by pointing people to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and seeing them grow as disciples with the help of the Holy Spirit. Our mission is to glorify God, and we do that best by making disciples. But the question is, what kind of disciples are we going to make? Now, what kind of disciples of Jesus uh, are, are we growing? How, how are we, as followers of Jesus, intending ourselves to develop and mature as followers of Jesus. And so we have our mission, which is to glorify God by making disciples, but we also have a, a vision. We have a picture in our mind of what the kind of disciples that we're endeavoring to make, what they look like, what they will look like, what their lives will be characterized. And our vision for making disciples has three parts, and they all rhyme, so it's easy to remember. Our vision for making disciples is this, that we, we make disciples of Jesus who know Christ is Lord through his word, who help one another grow in maturity and obedience to Jesus, and we make disciples who go to their neighbors and to the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Know, grow, go. So we're spending time this month, uh, first month of 2022, looking at our mission and our vision. We, we shift. We looked at our mission last week, glorifying God, how we do that, what that looks like, and now this week we're going to look at knowing Christ as Lord, as disciples who know Jesus as Lord through his word. From John chapter 14 this morning, we're going to get a little bit of a picture of what it looks like to know Jesus, uh, to be a disciple. And here's the main idea that comes to us from John 14 and is related to our vision for making disciples, that to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to know Jesus. To follow Jesus, you have to know Jesus. I know that sounds simple. That sounds oversimplistic, maybe even obvious. But sometimes we have to say the obvious things out loud to really understand them. To follow Jesus, you have to know Jesus. As we see this uh, fleshed out and the the understanding of what it means to know Jesus from John 14, as as we come to grips with this this morning, I hope that we would begin individually and as a church to begin taking steps to be disciples of Jesus by knowing him and not merely knowing things about him. That we would make steps to be followers of Jesus who know Jesus and don't just know stuff about Jesus. So let's read together John 14, uh, one, verses 1 through 14. I invite you, as you're comfortably able, uh, please stand uh, where you are as we honor God by reading His Word. <clears throat> Follow along in your Bibles. You can see the, the text on the screens behind me as well. Uh, here, John chapter 14. This is, again, um, I know it's just two or three chapters uh uh, ahead of where we were last week in John 17, the context is similar. This is the night that Jesus will uh, shortly be betrayed uh, before he'll be arrested and then delivered to be crucified the following day. This is his last night with his disciples in John chapter 13. They have met together in the upper room there in Jerusalem to share in that last Passover meal together. Jesus has washed his disciples' feet. He has told them that there's a betrayer among them. Judas Iscariot has already gotten up and left uh, to go do what he's going going to do in terms of uh, making an arrangement to hand Jesus over to the religious authorities. And now Jesus there with the faithful 11 that remain says these words, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I'm in the father and the father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I'm in the father and the father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is God's word. You may be seated. (laughs) To follow Jesus, you have to know Jesus. To follow Jesus... You have to know Jesus. Here in John 14, the night before Jesus will be arrested and and crucified and uh, give his life as a ransom for many, he spends some time with the disciples making sure that they know some of the most important things that he can ever teach them. In the first few verses here, verses 1 through 7, Jesus calls us to know this, that he is the only way to the Father. Know this here's the truth, here's the fact, get it straight in your head, I'm the only way to the Father, Jesus says. Now this chapter, verse 14, or chapter 14, uh, these verses here that we read are are meant to be a comfort to the disciples as Jesus is about to go away. going away is a, a kind of a symbolic way of saying, or a figurative way of saying, speaking about his death and burial, his resurrection, and then ultimately his ascension to the Father. Jesus is going to go away. He won't be in the flesh with them anymore. And anticipating that this is going to be difficult for the disciples, and we could understand why, he gives them words of comfort here in John 14. The comfort that Jesus gives to his disciples is this, I'm not going away forever, never to return. I'm going away, but if I go away, I'll return to bring you where I am. And not just those disciples, those 11 faithful ones in that room, but all who ultimately will call upon him as Lord. Jesus is preparing a place for his people to dwell with him in the presence of the Father for all eternity. And when the time is right, he'll come back to bring all of his people to himself. He's speaking these words in John 14 to his disciples who in a very short amount of time are going to be really really scared about their own lives and their own future. He says, "You believe in God, believe in me. I'm going away, to prepare a place for you, don't worry. I'll be back to bring you to where I am." And in verse 4, Jesus says to the disciples, "And by the way, you know the way to where I'm going." Now, this little statement, you know the way to where I'm going, creates a problem for Thomas. We know Thomas is that disciple who doubts uh, that that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And just a few chapters from here, Jesus will appear in his resurrected, glorified body to Thomas. And Thomas will put his finger in the holes in, in uh, in Jesus' hands and in his side. And he'll worship and say, my Lord and my God. He will believe because he has seen. Blessed Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going much less the way to get there. We, I hear all the things you're saying. I still don't know what you're saying. We don't know where you're going, Lord. How can we know the way? You just said that we know the way, but we don't know even where. We don't know the destination, much less the roadmap to where you're going. Help us, Lord. Thomas is saying we want to go where you're going, but we need to know how to get there. And Jesus has already implied the answer to Thomas's question, both the where and the way. He said, I'm going to my father, and my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you so. I'm preparing a place for you and, and I'm going away, but I'll come back to bring you where I am. The where and the way are already implied in what Jesus has said, but now he says it explicitly. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know the way that you're going. Jesus said to him, Thomas, bless you. I am the way, and the truth, and the life. The way to the Father, that's where Jesus is going. He's going to the presence of God the Father to prepare a place for His people, to dwell with Him forever. The way to the Father is not, as perhaps Thomas assumes, a path to walk. It's not a road to travel. The way to the Father is a person to know and to follow. And it's not just any person. It's not just any path. The, the way to the Father is Jesus himself. He says it plainly to Thomas. I am the way. I'm the way you're looking for. I'm the truth. I'm the life. What Jesus says to Thomas is, there is a way to the Father. There is a way to the place that I am going. And the way is me. And by the way, Thomas, it's just me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is an exclusive statement. It's the kind of exclusive statement that bugs some people because we live we, we live in a world, we live in a culture. And by the way, our sinful hearts, just we just want lots of easy ways to get to God. Let's be honest. We all, we all want to find our own way to get to him. We, we, want, we want to understand God on our own terms. And we have assumptions about who God is and what he must be like. And those assumptions about what we think God is or who he is and what he must be like leads us to also assume particular paths that there must be to get to God. But Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, it's exclusive. No one comes to the father except through me. Now listen, this exclusive statement that Jesus gives is not a statement that excludes people. It's a statement that excludes other approaches or or other attempts to get to God beside Him. So Jesus does make an exclusive statement. He does exclude some people from coming to the Father, but He only excludes those people from coming to the Father who try to get to God any other way than through Him. Does that make sense? I'm the kind of kid who, uh, well, kid at heart. When I was a kid... And, uh, we had activities in classrooms or we go to a restaurant and they give you like the kid's menu and there's a maze on the back or whatever. I would always start from the finish line and go back to the beginning, partly because I don't fail well. I don't like other people to see me making mistakes, but here's the thing. If you start from the finish line, you will always find the right way back to the start and you'll almost never take a wrong turn. So there's your little life hack friends. Um, Start at the end. Get to the beginning. You'll always get the right. But but this is kind of, kind of what Jesus is saying. I'm the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm starting with the end point here, guys. I'm giving you, I'm giving you the sure path to God so that you can be unmistaken, so that you can take no wrong turns, so that you'll never hit a dead end, and so that you'll always get to life with the Father. Come through me. If you try to go any other way, you won't get to him. Now, Jesus is not saying that people can't pursue other ways to God. He's just saying none of them end up actually getting to him unless they go through him. This is to say that no one comes to God the Father except on the recommendation, by the approval, through the guidance of Jesus the Son. And by the way, friends, that's a guaranteed way to get to the Father. Right? It's not like Uh, Jesus is saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And some people will get to the Father through me. Others will try through me and fail. No, that's not. All who attempt to go to the Father through Jesus will get there. But he goes one step further, Jesus does, in verse 7. He says to Thomas, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the exclusive way to know God in truth. And if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you do know him. And you've seen him. To know the truth about Jesus. That he's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the, the only path to reconciliation with God. To forgiveness of sins. To right relationship with the Father. To know that and to know him personally is to know the Father and to see the Father. If you had known me, you would have known the Father, Thomas. And from now on, you've seen me and you've also seeing the Father. Put simply, Jesus is saying in no uncertain terms that he translates and manifests God the Father to humanity. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know me, you know the Father, Jesus says. We go back to Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verse 3, where the author of Hebrews says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Colossians 1, 15, he is the image of the invisible God john's own gospel chapter one in the beginning was the word the word was with god the word was god he was with god in the beginning that word word is a way of speaking about who jesus is and his his essence he is the logos that's the greek word he's the 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 true source of all things the true source of sustenance and 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 power that upholds everything in the universe that is jesus and john chapter one fourteen says the word became flesh and dwelt among us Jesus says, if you know me, if you see me, you know the Father and you've seen the Father. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Know this, says Jesus to Thomas and the rest of the disciples. I am the only way to the Father. Friends, to know Jesus as Lord, to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus who knows him as Lord, you must know him in truth. You must know certain things about him that are true. Jesus gives this explicit statement. I uh, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There are other I am statements uh, that Jesus gives all throughout the course of John. And the way that Jesus says these things is to say, I am, whatever he says after that, fill in the blank, and no other. I am the good shepherd and there is no other. I am the bread of life, and there is no other. I am the resurrection and the life, and there is no other. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no other. I'm the only one. Know this about me, Jesus says. Because Jesus here says that he is the exclusive way to the Father, it will not do, friends, for us to know him as we want to know him. To know him according to what we think of him. To to know Jesus according to our sinful hearts' assumptions about what he must be like. There are times where you will be reading the Gospels, you will be reading God's Word, even prophecies about Jesus and things that uh, uh, Paul and Peter and John write in their letters to the churches about who Jesus is and what it means to follow Jesus, uh, what His character, what His nature is like, what His desire for the churches. You will read things about Jesus and God's Word that confront your sinful, selfish sensibilities. I don't want Jesus to be like that. But just because you don't want Him to be like that doesn't mean He isn't like that. To know Jesus in truth is to know Him as He has revealed Himself to us in His Word. Because He says that He is the truth, this means that everything that He reveals to us about Himself must be weighted more heavily than our own personal impressions of Him or desires for what He would be like. Jesus says, I am the truth. All that is true, all that is false, is gauged, uh, measured against Me and the reality of My existence. Because Jesus says He is the life. Friends, any other approach to God apart from Him will only lead to death and destruction. To know Jesus is to know Him in truth. To know what is true about Him. To know that He is the Son of God, the second person of the triune God in human flesh who died for sins and was raised from the grave. It is to know that there's no other way to eternal life, to forgiveness of sin, to the kind of life that God has intended and designed for you to live apart from going through Jesus in a relationship of dependence and trust upon Him. To know Jesus is to know these things that are true. Know this, Jesus says, I'm the only way to the Father. But well, there's another invitation from Jesus to his disciples in this passage, not just to know what is true about him, but to know him, not just to know facts, but to know him. And in verses eight and following, we, we that to know Jesus is to know that he is one with the father to know him is to, to know, and, and already he's been hinting at this in his conversation with Thomas. And now it's going to shift uh, and, and be fleshed out a little bit further in his conversation with Philip. There in verse 8, Jesus has just said, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Lord, if you'll just pull back the curtains of heaven and, and show us God, we'll be good. That's all we're asking. We're used to Peter sticking his foot in his mouth in front of Jesus often. Not so much does Philip do this, and so, but here's Philip. Just open mouth, insert foot. Lord, show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. And this silly statement, maybe flippant statement, elicits a sharp rebuke from Jesus, verse 9. Jesus says to Philip, Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? How long have we been doing this, Phil? Three years? We've been walking around the... Judean countryside, in and out of Jerusalem, and Capernaum, and Beth, uh, uh, Bethel. and We've been all sorts of places together. You've seen me do a lot of different things. We've spent three years together, Phil. You still don't know me? You still don't know me? It's like Jesus saying, do you, do you know who is standing in front of you right now? Are we even speaking the same language? Have we been living on the same earth together? or Do we have a shared reality at all of the last three years, Philip? The rebuke that comes from Jesus is, is a rebuke of Philip's lack of faith, lack of trust, lack of, of, of belief in Jesus. Philip has been a witness to innumerable evidences of the reality that Jesus demonstrates the Father to humanity. He's seen lots of miracles. He's heard Jesus say specifically, I and the Father are one, John chapter 10. He's heard Jesus say explicitly, John chapter 5, nothing I say, I say on my own authority. I only say and do what the Father tells me to do. Philip has seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. Philip has seen Jesus restore sight to a blind man. Philip has seen Jesus turn water into wine, and not just any kind of wine, but the best kind of wine that keeps the wedding party going for a long time after. Philip has seen and heard Jesus do things that no one else has ever said or ever done in the history of mankind, and still he says, show us the Father, that's all we really need. I feel for Jesus here. How how many times do we as parents say to our kids, how many times do I have to tell you? How many times do I have to show you? How many times do I have to help you before you understand? Why do we have to keep doing this? Jesus says, I've been with you this whole time. You still don't get it? Jesus is confronting in no uncertain terms the apparent fact that Philip over the last three years has just not quite been paying attention the way he ought to. But it's not just that Philip is like, you know, some space cadet off in La, La Land. I mean, it's not that he's, he's not some knucklehead. I mean, Philip brought Nathaniel To Jesus early on in Jesus' ministry. Philip was was catching on to some of the messianic overtones of what Jesus was doing early in his ministry. Philip was recognizing this guy may be the Messiah. I'm gonna bring my brother to him to follow him too. So it's it's not like Philip is is you know off the reservation here. Philip is there's something's not clicking in his brain. What's not clicking in Philip's brain is 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 faith, is belief, is trust, independence, that all that he's seen and all that he's heard is actually true in the person of Jesus. And so Jesus confronts Philip's lack of faith in verse 11. He says, believe me, believe me, Philip, that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. If you can't believe what I'm saying, remember in your head all the things that I've done that you've seen me do. And believe me on account of those things. Who else but God could raise the dead? Who else but God could turn water into wine? Who else but God could give sight to the blind? Who else but God could feed 5,000 people with five uh, five, uh, five fish and two small loaves? Who else could do that, Philip? Either believe what I'm saying. If you can't believe what I'm saying, Jesus says, believe on account of the stuff you've seen me do. To know Jesus as Lord, we have to know Jesus in truth. We have to know what's true about him. We have to know that that he is the way to the Father and that there is no other. But to know Jesus as Lord, to be the kind of disciples who glorify God with what we know of Jesus, we also have to truly know Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus, we have to know him in truth. To be a follower of Jesus, we have to truly know him. Now, that sounds like a silly sort of semantic uh, jumble that only a preacher could come up with. He must know Jesus in truth, and he must truly know Jesus. And you're right, but it works. The idea of knowing Jesus here, as the conversation with Jesus' disciples progresses, as the conversation shifts from talking with Thomas now to talking with Philip, the idea of knowing Jesus here expands beyond just knowledge of the facts. Now it extends to knowledge of the person that idea, when Jesus says in verse 9, Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? He's not saying, Have I been with you this long and you still don't know these things about me? No. He says, Have I been with you this long and you just still don't know me? Like there's, there's a relational gap between you and I here, Philip. There's, there are things that you don't, uh, you've not yet come to understand about me that you should know by now. How do you not know me? The kind of knowledge that Jesus invites Philip to have of him is a knowledge of of relationship and experience. It's not just to know things about Jesus, but it's to know know those things about Jesus and then to live in relationship with him based on what you know about him. Does that make sense? Uh, Nikki and I have been married almost 13 years, and in 13 years, as her husband, I have come to learn this. My wife loves birthdays. Not just her birthday, not just my birthday, not just our kids' birthdays. She loves all the birthdays for everybody. I don't know know what it is in her that causes her to love birthdays, but she loves birthdays. She loves celebrating other people. She loves giving gifts. That's like one of her love languages. She's an excellent gift giver. If you've ever been given a gift by my wife, it has been intentionally chosen and selected with you and your preferences in mind and your relationship with her included. She buys good gifts for people. Because she loves, not just because she loves birthdays, but because she loves people. But because she loves people, she loves birthdays and celebrating them. My wife loves birthdays so much that she bought herself her own 16th birthday cake. Because nobody else in her family loved birthdays quite as much as she did. She's like, listen, I love birthdays. I'm going to celebrate. I'm buying my own cake. If after 13 years of marriage, I go to Nikki on her birthday Uh, Later this year in April, here in a couple months, and I were to go to her and say, Do you want to do anything special on your birthday this year? That would be like the dumbest question I could ask my wife. My wife loves birthdays. I think we've settled that fact, right? For me to go to my wife who loves birthdays and say, Do you want to do anything special for your birthday? She would turn to me and say, Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Stephen? I love birthdays. They're the best. Of course I want to do something special. What are, you, what are you doing asking me do I want to do something special? Have we done anything in the third? Have you, have you paid attention at all to the 13 years of our marriage, to the 20-some-odd individual and unique birthday parties I have planned for our children? Have you seen any of the specific gifts that I bought for other people on their birthdays, that I bought for you on your birthday, blessed husband? Have we? What have you been doing 13 years? Do I want to do something special on my birthday? Are you kidding me? The right question, if I really know my wife, if I understand her, if I know not just things about her, but I know her because I'm in relationship with her, the right question to ask her in April of this year is, what would you like to do special for your birthday this year? Right? The assumption is, I know she wants to do something special because she loves birthdays. I don't have to ask the knuckleheaded question, do you want to do something special? what I can ask is what sort of special thing would you like to do? How can I celebrate you best this year? How can we rejoice in in the blessing that you are to our family? How How can we highlight you and celebrate you on your birthday this year, Nikki? How can I honor you on that day? Not, would you like me to? Duh. How can I? How can I do that? What's, what's best, right? So the knowledge that Jesus is inviting Philip to have of him is not just knowledge that Jesus is things, but knowledge of who Jesus is. And to, and to listen to to what Jesus has said. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And look, you know me now. And so now you know the Father. So if Philip had really known Jesus the way that Jesus had been inviting his disciples to know him over the course of the last three years, Philip wouldn't have asked, Lord, show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. He probably would have asked a question like, Lord, you have shown us the Father. And what a joy it is to know him. Right? Because Philip has come to not just know things about Jesus, but he's come to know Jesus. and He would would have responded with worship of Jesus because of the relationship and experience that he had with his Lord. So to know Jesus as Lord, we have to know what's true about him. If we know him falsely, that won't help us at all. But to know Jesus as Lord, to follow him as a disciple, to, to be a kind of disciple that glorifies God, we have to also truly know Jesus. We have to be in relationship with him. To spend time with him in prayer, reading his word, understanding his heart and his will, his desires, and shaping our life and our response to him by what we know of him. So, to know Jesus as Lord is to submit to him and to follow him as Lord, not just to say, I know these things about Jesus. Friends, a lot of people know these things about Jesus, not so many know him. To know Jesus is to submit to him. It's to follow him as Lord. It's to relate to him as the manifestation of the Father to all humanity. It is to know that he is one with the Father and to respond to him as such. To, like Thomas does, when he sees the risen Lord Jesus, to fall on his face and worship my Lord and my God. That's part of what it is to know Jesus, to truly know Jesus. Not just to know stuff about him. Not just to know the things he did and the stuff that he said but to live in relationship with Him, to respond to Him as Lord, as Master, as Commander of your life, to really trust your life to Him. So Jesus says, know this. I'm the only way to the Father. He says, know me. I'm one with the Father. I am divine. In no, certain, in no uncertain terms, is Jesus saying, when He says, I and the Father are one, He's saying, we're of the same stuff. We are the same God in two different persons. If you've seen me, you've seen God. So respond that way, but he closes by saying, be certain. Know this, to know Jesus, or Jesus is the only way to the Father. Know him. Know that he's one with the Father. Respond to him as such, but also be certain. Be certain that to know Jesus is to follow in his steps. To know Jesus is to go after him, to emulate what he does in our action. Our passage this morning comes to a close in verses 12 through 14 with one of Jesus's 25 truly, truly statements that appear in John's gospel. That formulation, truly, truly, 25 times shows up in John's gospel. It's a way of saying, know this for certain, be sure to pay attention. If you, if you don't hear anything else, hear this truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Be certain. To know Jesus is to follow in his steps. What does it look like to follow in Jesus' steps? He tells the disciples what it looks like. To believe in him, to trust in him, to know him in truth, and to truly know him is to do what he does. He does. Jesus says, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. Now, this is not to say that his disciples will do more dramatic or more miraculous things in in manner of degree. They're not going to die for sins and on their own authority as God raised themselves from the dead. That's not what he means. He's not saying that the disciples will go and, and give their lives as a ransom for many. Only the Son of God does that. But they will go and do the things that he does. They will care for the poor and needy. They will proclaim the gospel. They will heal the sick. They will take the message of reconciliation to God by faith in Jesus to all the known world. They're going to do all of the same kingdom expanding things that Jesus did in his earthly ministry. And he says, they'll do even greater things than me because I'm going to the father. This is admittedly a really kind of a difficult verse to understand. To, to what, Jesus, what do you mean they're going to do greater things than you because uh, you're going to the Father? What I think Jesus means is that they will do greater things in terms of volume, not in terms of degree. Jesus' disciples don't have power to do greater, more powerful, more miraculous things than Jesus. But because His disciples are more than He is, and because He's going to the Father, He's no longer on the earth in flesh. He's uh, on the earth through His Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. Believers will do more things than Jesus did. They'll preach more than Jesus did. Most of Jesus' earthly ministry was spent within about a two to three days walk from Jerusalem. That's a really small geographical locale for Jesus to do His ministry. And yet today, the gospel of Jesus is known around the world. There will be more gospel preaching in the world because of His disciples. There there will be more healings through the power of the Holy Spirit as the word of of the gospel is preached. We, We look at the book of Acts. We just consider the book of Acts, and we see all the things that the disciples are doing in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. Philip, poor doubting Philip, who didn't know Jesus the way that he ought to, he himself will be called Philip the Evangelist. He takes the gospel to a eunuch from Ethiopia. And then he, he expands the, the, the knowledge of Christ to the gospel throughout Jerusalem or Judea and Samaria. Uh, Philip is doing the things that Jesus did in greater volume. His life goes on longer than Jesus. He has more opportunity to preach to more people, to point more people to Jesus. So when Jesus says they'll do greater things than me, he's not saying they're gonna do m- more miraculous things. He's just saying they're gonna do a lot more what I've already been doing because I'm not going to be here to do it. I'll do it through them by the power of my Holy Spirit. Be certain, friend, to know Jesus is to follow in his steps. Jesus says, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. Now, does this mean that you can go and do it on your own power? No. Belief comes first. Trust, dependence upon Christ to make you right with the Father, as you've trusted him as a sacrifice for your sins, as you believe that God raised him from the dead, as all of your life is depending upon Jesus, he will empower you to do what he intends for you to do in his name in the world. Jesus gives this other crazy invitation to pray anything in his name and he promises to answer it. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the father may be glorified in the son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now let me just go ahead and disabuse you of all the things that this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean you can say, God give me a Ferrari in Jesus name, amen. And now and now God because you prayed in Jesus name, he has to do it. That's silly. God, make me rich. God, make me healthy. God, make me whatever. Fill in the blank. In Jesus' name, amen. And now I've named it and I've claimed it. In Jesus' name, it's mine. No. It's not what that means. To pray in Jesus' name is not to use His name as a magical incantation to manipulate God to give you whatever you want, brothers and sisters. Any pastor, any Bible teacher who tells you that or leads you to believe that that you can manipulate God's will and get from God things for you because you pray simply in Jesus' name, is someone you need to run as fast as you can in the opposite direction from. To pray in Jesus' name means to pray according to His nature, His reputation to pray according to his desires, his will. That's what it means to pray according to his name. All that is true about Jesus is true in his name. So when we pray in Jesus's name, what we are to be praying for are all the things that Jesus has already said he wants in the world. We pray according to all the things that Jesus has said are true about him. And sometimes friends, let me just say, sometimes we pray intending to pray in Jesus's name and we pray the wrong way. We assume His will is one thing, and it's something else. But if our heart is intent, or if if our heart is is really focused on praying according to the name and for the glory of the Father through what Jesus will do in us, He'll change our desires to pray rightly. So don't go home and pray for a Ferrari in Jesus' name. Don't go home and pray for a six-pack abs in Jesus' name. Go home and pray that the gospel would permeate the nations in Jesus' name. Go home and pray that that Christ would bind up hurting hearts with the hope of the gospel in Jesus' name. Go home and pray that God would lead you to someone to proclaim the gospel to on your block in Jesus' name. Go home and pray that Jesus would be glorified in his church in Jesus' name. Pray the things you already know are true about Him. Pray the things you already know because Jesus has said explicitly what He desires. Pray those things in His name and He will answer. Be certain, Jesus says, to know me is to follow in my steps. Do the things I do. Pray for the things that I want to do in the world and I'll do it. To know Jesus as Lord, you have to know Jesus in truth. To know Him as Lord, you have to truly follow Jesus and here in these final verses of, uh, of our passage today, we see that those who know Jesus as Lord have been commissioned by Jesus to make him known in the world. Those who really know Jesus, they know what's true about him. They really know him in relationship with him because they've come to depend upon him for their salvation, for their right relationship with God. Those people who know Jesus that way have been commissioned by Jesus to do what he did in the world whether it's our praying in the name of Jesus based upon how we've come to know and to discern His will, or continuing the mission of Jesus in proclaiming the gospel and making disciples of the nations, those who know Jesus in truth and those who truly know Him in relationship will speak and pray and live in ways that draw other people to Jesus. If we know the true Jesus in a dynamic relationship of faith, we will pray for His will to be accomplished. And since His will is to glorify the Father, we will pray toward that end. If we know His heart, we will reverberate His heart's desire for the world to repent of sin and believe in Him. It will be all over us. And since His works lead to the glory of the Father through the salvation of the lost, friends, we who know Jesus will seek the salvation of the lost to the glory of God. We exist. To glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ who know Jesus as Lord. We want to know the truth about Jesus from His Word. But we also want to truly know Jesus in relationship with Him. This means first that we must be committed to knowing Christ as He has been revealed to us in Scripture. You want to know what Jesus is like? Find Him in the pages of the Bible. It means second that we must actually come to truly know him through prayer and worship and obedience to his commands. As we read in our call to worship today from 1 John chapter 2, this is how we know we've come to to know, this is how uh, we can can have confidence we've come to know him, that we keep his commands. If we know Christ this way, if we know Him in truth and we truly know Him, we will find our actions, we will find our prayers, we will find our desires mirroring His. We will find ourselves on mission with Jesus to say to all the world, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. Brothers and sisters, are you on mission with Christ? Glorifying God because you know Jesus is Lord? Or are you simply content to know stuff about him? Are you simply content to know enough from the Bible to smoke everybody else on a Jeopardy show when Bible stuff comes up on trivia? Lots of non-believers, and they're on Jeopardy every week, know a lot of things about Jesus, know a lot of things about the Bible. That's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to know Jesus in truth. Yes, you need to know things about him from Scripture, but I'm asking you to truly know him in relationship with him. Are you conversing with Jesus in prayer? Are you depending upon him for all things day by day? Are you on mission with Jesus in the world because you know that his heart is to to increase the worship of God in the world by calling people to repent of their sin and trust in him? Friend, if you haven't done that first, you're not yet on mission with Jesus. You haven't yet come to know him truly. Knowing him truly starts with recognizing you are a sinner who has offended an infinitely holy God in need of a savior, in need of redemption, in need of rescue, and that God in his wisdom and in his power has provided that rescue for you in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, who gave his sinless life as a sacrifice in your place on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago, who's raised from the dead in glory and power, never to die again, to reign over all the cosmos as King of kings and Lord of lords. To know him is to say, Jesus, you are my king. You are commander of my soul. I can't do it apart from you. I can't get to God except through you, and I need to get to God. So, Jesus, I'm all yours. I trust your death to forgive me of my sins. I trust in your resurrection to make me right with God. So let's go. My life is yours, friend. That's how you start to know Jesus. Through the series in January, we're going to spend time, as I said, praying together as a church. We've already done it. We're going to do it again to the glory of God. I want to invite you just now where you are, um, bow your heads, close your eyes. We're going to use this as a time to pray together. Three ways to pray this morning. One, Heavenly Father, help me to receive the truth about Jesus and to trust Him. Pray, Lord Jesus, draw me into a deeper relationship with You as I trust You. Pray, Holy Spirit, give me a desire to follow after Jesus and wisdom to pray according to His will. These prayer prompts are on the screen behind me if you need to be reminded of them, but we're going to spend a few moments just praying this. Father, help me to receive the truth about Jesus and to trust Him. Jesus, draw me into a deeper relationship with You as I trust You. Holy Spirit, give me a desire to follow after Jesus and wisdom to pray according to His will. Church, let's pray together.